1: Welcome to Dugout Study Hall, a remedial course in baseball stats and proud member of the Pitcher List Podcast Network. I'm your host and expert layman Matt Goodwin, and I am joined today by PitcherList's own Daniel Port. Alexander couldn't be aboard for this one, so I made sure to go find somebody who is also way, way smarter than me to help all y'all out. On this episode, Daniel and I will talk about his PitchCon presentation from 2022, chat a little news and notes, dive into some pitch location metrics and data modeling, but before we get to all of that, Daniel, how you doing? I'm doing fantastic. Thanks for having me on, Matt. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, it's really a huge favor for us. Uh, I don't know if you know this, Daniel, or not, but we have kind of a I uh, uh, I don't know if a tradition is the right word, but uh, we've kind of oopsed our way into always talking about the weather at the beginning of our episodes. And so today, uh, the way we're going to do that is to talk about how Alexander is a bit under the weather, uh, and was not able to make it for this week's episode. so uh, it is is beyond uh, gratitude from from us that uh, you are are willing to fill in here and and help us get an episode out this week. Um, so uh, much much appreciation for that. Um, and uh, you've got some stuff going on too that the listeners probably would be interested in hearing about. So let's start off by uh, why don't you tell us what you do with PitcherList list and all the stuff you got going on and um, you know, kind of introduce yourself to, to the people who are listening.
2: Uh yeah, thanks, Matt. Uh so I kind of wear a bunch of different hats for Pitcher List. Um, I love to just like throw, you know, jumping in here. I love to kind of help out wherever I can and kind of get my hands in a bunch of different things. So I uh aside from writing and doing uh, you know, going deep pieces and doing uh things like that, I also help manage our newsletter and, and help get that mm-hmm. out every day uh and run the newsletter team. And then also on top of it, uh help sort of i'm one of the community managers so to say over in the discord where uh mostly um regulate you know how people are talking to each other make sure things stay civil sort of stepping in when things get out of hand that sort of thing so i've been uh having a part of that for a couple years now too and then um i also have my own podcast um i have the Long Ball Legacies podcast, uh, which basically the genesis of it is we kind of are rewriting the Hall of Fame, so to say, but <laughs> and then also expanding it. So what we do is every episode I have a guest on, and um, uh, we'll have to have you on sometime, Matt. Uh, and basically, uh, everyone who comes on picks a player that meant something to them throughout their, uh, you know, their their fandom. You know, someone who was like their first favorite player, or someone who really had a meaningful impact on them uh, as a baseball fan. And then we kind of pick historical comparisons, either current or uh, past, uh, and just talk about them and then kind of make comparisons between the players, kind of, uh, you know, tell stories and go through their history. At the end of the episode, we rank them on this big, giant list that we've uh, sort of accumulated <laughs> over every episode. And, you know, we talk about everyone from superstars to, you know, um, to role players to guys who are you know more flash in the pans were great players for a couple years and then flamed out or really everyone um and it's just a lot of fun everyone comes on with just us chilling on a sunday afternoon uh talking about baseball so it's really kind of fun yeah
1: that's great that's on the uh the new general baseball feed is that correct that is correct yes um and
2: if you're interested you can find us again the name is long ball legacies and uh, you can find us on twitter at lb legacies um you can also find me at daniel j port if you want to harass me there uh for that um (laughs) uh, or you can always email us at longballlegacies at gmail.com
1: perfect yeah make sure you check that out uh there's a whole slew of of new pods that have come out on that feed um and that the feed that we were doing has split so dugout study hall has stayed on the fantasy side um, and you guys are holding down the fort on, on that other side of, uh, with the general baseball and it's, it's just such great content. There's, there's so much there and there's something for everybody. Uh, so make sure you're definitely checking out that feed and specifically, uh, checking out long ball legacies. Um, there was something else I'm going to bring up here and, and you can tell me if you don't want to talk about it, but there was something else that you did recently. There was quite an accomplishment that was also connected to, uh, baseball, um you had to defend something right uh and mm-hmm. and uh earn your way into an echelon talk talk to us a little bit about that that's quite an accomplishment so uh yes uh th-
2: thank you i appreciate that uh this uh this past january i earned my masters in uh sports analytics and management from uh american university and it was i mean it was quite a journey it was really uh I learned, gosh, I learned so much. Uh, a lot of what we're going to talk about today actually comes from the mm-hmm. things I experienced in that process. But for my, uh, you know, sort of, you know, thesis, my graduation, you know, sort of project uh, or, or capstone, so to say, um, I essentially had to go and create a statistic of some sort and do all the, the process that goes into creating a statistic and testing it and, you know, sort of... Uh, Essentially, proving it was useful, things like that, and and, mm-hmm. um, and then uh, at PitcherList, uh, I know for publicly, uh, I did did my de- my defense uh, and actually then submitted that uh, through the through the program. So yeah, um, uh, I don't know if you want me to just dive right into what that uh, what that is and kind of give you all the details of that.
1: Um, but, well, we're I think we're going to circle back because yeah. it's connected to what you did at PitchCon, right? Perfect. Yes, exactly. Yeah, so we are definitely going to pick your brain. I will not let you go. Without uh, having you talk about that stuff in depth, uh, I think it's really, really useful. Um, and as I was saying before we started here, it's one of the, those types of things that I can understand when uh, when you guys talk about it, but I would never be able to ideate on my own. And so I'm fascinated by that sort of thing and how it works and how you even come to creating something and testing it and and all of that. It's It's really, really interesting. So we are absolutely going to talk about that. Um, let's transition into one of our segments we call Off the books, Daniel. And uh, generally we talk about stories that uh, are kind of separate from the stats or maybe even fantasy. I'm gonna try something new, uh, take mm-hmm. advantage of the the situation with you coming in and and being the uh, not only the guest but the guest host, guest co-host. Um, and we're gonna do a little news and notes segment with our off the books because some some stuff happened uh, yesterday that and we're recording on Thursday. This is Thursday, May 5th. This'll come out uh, tomorrow, May 6th. And, and you may be listening on Saturday or Sunday, but uh, so uh, on Wednesday in major league baseball, some interesting things happen. Um, and I just wanted to kind of go through these one by one and just get some takes on, on what you thought was going on or, or what it made you think or feel or, or, or whatever. And I think we have to start with what the heck happened between uh Madison Bumgarner and, and the home plate umpire yesterday, it was bizarre. It was uncomfortable to watch the video. Uh The ump was just like gl- staring at his eyes while, while Mad Bum wasn't really paying attention. And then they parted ways and something was said and it did not sit well with, with uh, uh, Bumgarner. And, and he came back at the ump and got ejected. It was very weird. It was all about a, a sticky stuff check. So, what what were your kind of thoughts and impressions of that moment?
2: It drove me nuts. Uh, I think, it, <laughs> without getting into like Stephen A. Smith, it's a disgrace. You know, kind of like uh, feeling <laughs> yeah. on, on things, it does really bother me. Um, for one thing, I think I think that you know when you look at the relationship between umpires and, and players, it's always going to be adversarial. And one of the sure. things I never really thought would work out well. This, I feel like this has been kind of brewing for a while. Was that? You can't take this already adversarial relationship and then put a power structure on it, uh, an additional power structure on it. Right. Right. And so it seems like the umpire was annoyed uh, that Madison Baumgartner um, was arguing balls and strikes, with which is just a part of baseball pitchers. Sure. For all time have argued balls and strikes. It's part of the job. Uh, He decided he was going to. I don't want to say like take a power trip over him, but it felt like it oh, over, yeah. uh, over Madison. Bumgarner. It felt
1: like he needed to give somebody a little palm massage.
2: Yeah. Right. <laughs> maybe, uh, you know, <laughs> I see, I saw moisturizer jokes, you know, be like, yeah, maybe, maybe Madison Bar- Baumgartner has great skin, but it really bugged me because it certainly felt like the attempt to, uh, obviously intimidate a player and, um, really kind of. I don't know, just it felt like a bullying sort of relationship, and I, yeah. I don't I don't blame Mass and frankly for for reacting the way that he did. Um, I won't repeat the things he claims he said because I think Nick will get after me for cursing. Um, <laughs> but I think when he when he said to the umpire, like at some point, if you wanted to go umpire children, go down to the, the minor leagues or little league, I, I can't say he's wrong, right? So I'm on Mass yeah. Bumgarner's side for this. I think that that's that's inexcusable.
1: Yeah, it's very strange. I and I don't like anybody abusing their power dynamic. I mean, these are these are all grown-ups, right? I, I, and the athletes are are the stars of the show and when these the umpires kind of inject themselves into things that way. I mean, he got he he wound up leaving the game early because of it. It's just I don't know. It it seemed very weird. And and these types of things do happen a lot where an umpire just decides they're going to they're going to you know, show somebody up or or you know they're listening for the chirping and make a big deal out of it when maybe they didn't need to but this one was just a little bizarre with the whole, whole touching the hand and staring into the eyes and there was some, definitely some some good uh twitter work yesterday from some people with uh, uh overlaying or sl- slowing it down and overlaying hearts and it, it, i mean it was just it was so bizarre that you almost have to do silly goofy things with it to to be able to process it in any sort of a way so i don't know i'm with you i think it was um, I think it was weird. I think it was wrong. I almost wish that Bumgarner hadn't reacted the way that he did only because I feel like for some people, he now makes it about that rather than what it was really about. Um, some people will be able to dismiss it and be like, well, he's a grown man. He shouldn't have reacted that way or, you know, whatever the umpires have a job to do. You can't, you can't react that way. Um, but I, I, this is hundred percent on that. ump, So I, I don't know. Very, very strange. Um, uh, yesterday there was also some history made, uh, Kelsey Whitmore, uh, took the mound and pitched some frames, uh, I have for the fairy Hawks here. Uh, so this is the first time that if, uh, a female pitcher has pitched a professional inning of baseball, uh, where are you at on that, Daniel? I, I think it's incredible.
2: Uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, but Whitmore, uh, she had also played, uh, outfield for them previously in a few games, right? I believe that's correct. So first off, let's just throw uh, throw credit her away for being a two way player. Uh, yeah, that's true. Incredible. Yeah, incredible. Um, but I, it, this just blows me away. I'm so excited about it. Um, uh, you know, one of the big, going back to my my masters, um, one of the things we took an entire course on was about essentially, you know. The future of sports and one of the big sections of it was talking about women's sports and 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 whether or not women uh, could hold their own in men's sports or things like that. And I've long yeah. been a proponent of the idea that, you know, that they're absolutely on equal grounds that we will see, uh, you know, a woman play in, in, frankly, the majors, but also just in baseball in general. Yep. Uh, sooner than we think and we're already seeing it and I don't see any reason why uh, she shouldn't I don't see any reason why this isn't historic and exciting um, I'm very very excited for it and I think it is important to realize as we go through it uh, I don't want to, I think the term uh, I have often thought of is we don't want to Danica Patrick this where right. uh, when Danica Patrick came up and started uh, racing in NASCAR basically the standard we set for her was you have to win everything you race in or else you are a failure as a, as a, as a woman in a man's world. And I think,
1: just, yeah, unrealistic. We never put that, that expectation on rookie male drivers. Right. Exactly. Right. And I
2: think it's important to keep those things in mind. Cause you're going to see inventions. You're going to see in things, you know, men coming across and being like, Oh, well she struck out three times today. That's, you know, or whatever. And that's yeah. unfair. We would never say that about a, a you know, so I'm incredibly excited. I obviously am going to be keeping an eye on this for for you know as long as I can and as well as I can. You know, I just think it's fantastic. I'm just so so excited about it.
1: Yeah, I think any time that an obstacle or a barrier is removed that doesn't need to be there, it, I'm all for it. And so uh, this is phenomenal. This is this is really really exciting for me to see this sort of happen. I, I remember being a kid and thinking like, why. Why is softball and baseball, why are they different? Why, why do we have to have these two separate things where only girls play softball and only boys play baseball? And, um, I, I used to go to a lot of Pawtucket Red Sox games and I just always kind of thought like, why? I don't understand why that's not a thing, why there's, there's not more of that, um, in, in sports. And, you know, obviously as I grew up, I understood that there's way more to it than just whether or not they're capable of competing at that level and uh seeing some of those layers peeled back it makes me really really happy it's too bad it's taken until you know 2022 for something like this to to occur but um i am such a fan of this and and all the all the best to her and and what she's doing and um really blazing a trail for others to be able to fall to follow as well so um this is a big deal this is a really big deal i agree Um, and
2: you know just the one last thing i want to think about just this uh it's just like the last sort of note on this, I think, is that, you know, when we talk about development and we talk about, you know, frankly, I mean, obviously we talk about how hard baseball is, but you hope right. that this starts a path where we concentrate more effort on allowing girls to train for baseball and allowing, you know, development programs and things like that. Because that's the, the, you know, when people are like, oh, you know, women can never meet that. half hard for half. It's because we don't train you know at the right. Age we right there's do for no boys.
1: opportunity to develop
2: right in that and way. i hope this starts us thinking differently about that and starting those different programs and i hope uh, you know I, if nothing else the most important thing and why i think every sports magnet should be shouting this from the rooftops this has happened and i've seen a lot of it so this is good but the you know little girls then can see right go i belong in baseball and that's where it starts that's the catalyst of it is saying hey you belong and then we're gonna you know, then it all kind of cascades from there. And I'm just, like I said, very excited for it.
1: Yeah, it, it hits me on a personal note, too. I've got two daughters um, and then a, my four-month-old son. Um, and my oldest, she's five. And I like to watch golf on the weekends when I get a chance to. And and I put it on. And uh, like two weeks ago, she asked me, Daddy, why do you only watch boy golf? She just came right out and said it. And, and I was like, well, we can certainly watch – the LPGA. Right. And, and then I went to try and find it and it wasn't as easy to find. Um, and so, you know, just in in an organic moment like that, where my, my five-year-old kindergartner is already recognizing that there's this significant difference in how we cover and address and celebrate sports for men and women. it, It really, um, that it got me in that moment. And so, this stuff is, I, I just think we don't need more obstacles. Life is hard enough. Sports are hard enough. Why are we throwing up more obstacles and, and blocks to people who uh, are good enough to play? And and to your point, there would be more, uh, probably um, a, a, a bigger pool of people who could compete the way that that she is. Um, if there were these training programs and these pipelines of developing that talent, it's hard to say like, well, there aren't any any people who are good enough to do this. When there's not an opportunity for certain members of that group to be able to to succeed and and, and try, so that's an excellent point. Um, one more of these, and, and I I'd like to move on to our numbers of the week segment because I think it's going to take us a little bit of time. Um, there was this really awesome moment where there was a, a Aaron Judge hit a home run. Uh, Blue Jays fan caught it, celebrated that he caught the ball. Turned around and gave it directly to uh, a young fan with an Aaron Judge jersey, and the the kid came over and gave him a hug. And um, there was a follow up. Aaron Judge met him in the dugout, and uh, was it was one of those moments uh, to highlight a couple of things. Reasons I bring it up, I don't think anybody's going to be against this moment. Uh, that's silly, um, but I, I I bring it up because I think we spend a lot of time focusing on uh, maybe nitpicking the sport or talking about how MLB doesn't run itself very well. And that's very true. Um, we, we talk about, you know, argue about whether three true outcome baseball is entertaining baseball and how do we fix the game and should we ban the shift and should we do all those things? And and so we're, we're focused a lot on those, those moments, but a moment like this is really what, Baseball to me is all about it is the heart of the game and how it connects to especially young people who are fans of it. And it, it 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 how could you not be romantic about baseball, right? It's it's different as an adult, but when you're a kid like that, that's a big deal, a really really big deal. And uh I love that Judge made a, a bigger deal out of it by bringing them down to the dugout and talking about it. The uh the other day when when fans were throwing trash on the field uh, in the guardians game. Judge was one of the first uh, and, and uh, Stanton as well. Kudos to them. They went out there to get them to stop. You know, it seems like Aaron judge really is either a really, really good person. And despite him being a Yankee, that makes me want good things for him. <laughs> um, Or he's really, really smart and knows when he's got to pretend to be. But I, I tend to, to uh, think it's more the former than the latter. So I don't know how how do you feel about uh the way that maybe we talk about baseball and and should we be talking about these moments maybe more than we do?
2: I'll be honest with you, I needed this
1: uh because <laughs> um
2: as a uh, for those who don't know, I'm i I'm from Cleveland, I'm a big Guardians fan, um and I was watching that one when all the trash was thrown on the field and whatnot. And, you know, I think of I've watched it and I wrote about it in the newsletter, actually. Um, And the thing I said was, you know, every time I watch the replay of that moment, you see these grown men yelling at the players and cheering for an injury and things like that and sitting next to them these two kids who are just they're not staring at the yeah. players. They're not staring at anyone. They're staring at the, the, the grown men in the stands. Right. right. And, and I think I said in the moment, we need to be better fans that that we talk about the toxic environment in sports. And we always tend to talk about the players. We tend to talk about the owners. We tend to talk about these things. And We don't talk enough about us and how we can improve our behavior. You know, I just saw a, a giant brawl in the stands of the Cubs game, and these yep. things. And it's like we can do better. And it's it's it, like I kind of have been sitting here for a while, going like, why why do we even do this? Like, why do we do sports if this is what we're going to see? And then we had this yeah. moment. And I go, that's why. And yep. that was really uh, like I needed it. I can honestly openly say I needed that moment. And I think with kids, because, you know, the kid's going to be a baseball fan for life, right? right? There, There's no way he doesn't tell that story uh, for, you know, most of his life about how that was the one of the coolest sports moments he ever had. And I think it's one of the things that, you know, baseball obsesses over, like, how do we get millennials to like baseball or how do we do these things? And it's like, I mean, most of us have already decided if we like baseball or not at, uh, as a millennial. Yeah, right. But that kid that's that's a person who's gonna be you know, you start getting these kids involved uh at this age and you make fans of them now, they're gonna be fans for life, and they're gonna grow the game. And then you also look at uh, what I love about what Aaron Judge did with all that, um, and I know I think um I think he also ended up getting a, a jersey from uh one of the um the Blue jays players and whatnot, the the man did. That by doing that, um by having Judge having them come down to the dugout, you've reinforced that this is Uh, not just you know good behaviors, and you should that man should feel good about himself as a person, but hopefully, will encourage other fans to be like, hey, by the way, uh, there is something in it for you as well. It might encourage that behavior a little more. Not that we should Hmm. have to reward it, but I'm glad to see that it does. Yeah, it's a place
1: to start, right? If if it's not happening, and maybe this is the teacher in me coming out now, but if it's not happening organically then maybe we need to uh, find the catalyst for it. And, um, and like you said, talk about it more, cover it more because it it's kind of the antidote to, to the, the poisoned well, so to speak of all of these other things that are going on. So I, yeah, I thought it was a, a beautiful moment for sure. Um, I'm going to mention one more thing here. We don't have to talk about it, but uh, I just thought this was really interesting. Um, there, there were, uh, was a, a, what's the word a milestone maybe, um, the, uh, Adam Wainwright, Yadi Molina battery won their 202nd game together. Um, that's pretty amazing. I, I it, in that I, it says that it puts them at the top of the all time list. I don't know if that's just, uh, that's, is that an MLB record? That's gotta be right. 202 wins from the same battery. That uh that feels like it's gotta be, it's gotta be an MLB record. But it's super awesome. I don't know. I, I, I like seeing people with longevity, and that's the reason that I put it in here. I, I, I like seeing players who are around for a long time who keep grinding, making it work, and uh, um, and find success in that. And so uh, that's, a, that's a really cool moment for, for a couple of guys that probably five, six years from now are, are not going to be in the league anymore. So I threw that in here as, as our final uh, news slash note. Uh, And we are ready and primed now, Daniel, to jump into some serious math stuff that is going to be way over my head, but I'm still very stoked (laughs) to hear about it. Um, We're going to do our numbers of the week segment. We're going to tackle our central question. We're going to look at a couple of players as case studies. But before we get to all that good stuff, we are going to take a very small break. and we are back. We are here with Daniel Port. Uh, Alexander is a little under the weather this week, so we are very lucky to have Daniel filling in. And uh, let's talk about no- our Numbers of the Week segment, and this is very, very focused on the very specific thing that you created. We we kind of teased this a little bit earlier in the episode. Um, the The statistic that you created for your – was it a thesis? Is that is that a thesis project? Is that a fair way of saying it?
2: Yeah, I think they end up calling it capstone, but it's the same idea.
1: Okay, capstone. Yeah. Sure, sure. Um, and so you created this metric, you presented it at PitchCon, and we're going to throw the link to that in our show notes. Uh, highly recommend. Uh, it's it's incredible, and it's it just blows me away with with how smart it is. Not just like the intelligence behind it, but the theory, the reasoning. The usefulness, all of it, just really, really well, well done. So, highly recommend going in and checking that out. Uh, obviously, after you finish listening to this episode, um, talk to me a little bit about the pitchcon presentation and the stat that you created, and then we're going to transition into talking about maybe like pitch location metrics in general, and then how data modeling as a big idea, an umbrella idea, is useful for understanding what's going on. And that's kind of our central question is how does the data modeling help uh, us to better understand what's going on with stats, numbers and on-field performance. But let's start small with your, your uh, stat that you created and talk uh, you know, the, the, I don't know if you can boil down an hour presentation into a three minute elevator pitch, but um, what's kind of the, the most basic elements of what you created. And then you can kind of use that as a transition into pitch location metrics in general and, and all of those types of things. Yeah. So, um,
2: you know, essentially the, so the stat I created, uh, is called optimal location ratios or, uh, I'll often refer to it as OLR because that could be a bit of a mouthful, yeah. <laughs> it, you know, and what, uh, at, the, at its core, the simplest explanation of it is it is the ratio at which, um, a pitcher throws a particular pitch, uh, in its optimal location, in the zone, divided by the total uh, amount of pitches that they throw in that optimal location in general. So uh, to kind of uh, make that make sense, we all know uh, most people who come to uh, Pitcher List to read, especially Nick's writing, might be familiar with the Blake Snell blueprint, but it's uh, essentially the idea that baseball pitching is moving away from the more traditional East-West style of pitching, where you're kind of working inside a hitter or outside uh, the zone or away from the hitter to north-south where you're throwing your four-seam fastballs up and then you're throwing basically, almost basically everything else, sinkers, sliders, curveballs, changeups everything else down. And one of the things that uh, I've been thinking about and I started thinking about was we talk about these locations a lot, but we've never really solidified that process and what is effective and what isn't. Is it literally, if it was just so simple as throwing your fastballs up and throwing your everything else down everyone would do it right so there's more to it than that and and so I started thinking about it and the way I tell the story is I was watching a pitcher unfortunately a terrible human being uh Trevor Bauer throw way back in the day when he was throwing for Cleveland and yep. he's on the mound and he was he you know his whole career is at a killer curveball um yeah and he could not get anyone to swing at it and this is real early before his breakout and he could not get anyone to swing. I Could not figure out why. You could like see him visibly like he'd throw a curveball, and would like lose his mind out in the mound because he just couldn't, yeah. uh, couldn't figure out why no one's chasing it. And Rick Manning, who's the color commentator for Cleveland and has been for a long, long time, was simply like, he can't throw it for strike. And so the moment the hitter sees curveball, he just goes, "Cool, I don't have to swing at it. It's a ball, right? He doesn't have to guess yeah. as to whether or not it's going to fall for a strike or not. And that really got the gears turning for me uh, for years. And I thought about this. And I thought about this. And finally, uh, through uh, graduate school and through the things I learned was given the tools to kind of finally analyze this. Um, and what I discovered uh, was that there there is a ratio because it can't also be essentially you can't just throw it then all in the zone because that's also a right. pattern, right? Then they see curveball and know, OK, well that's going to be a strike. I have to swing it, right? And so I said to myself, what is the amount you need to throw in the zone to make it effective when you throw it out of the zone? And that's what OLR measures is it looks for the ratio and says, are you throwing it in the zone enough uh, to make it effective when you throw it out of the zone is essentially what it, uh, it measures. And uh, I found it has both really great uh, ability to explain, it has a, frankly a, connection, a large connection to pitch success. Um, Mm. not necessarily to the degree to which the pitch is successful, um, but whether or not the pitch, uh, using P-Val as the, as how we measure pitch success, uh, it has a connection to pitch success and then also, um, has a, is, is predictive. It's very predictive. So, uh, it's pretty good at once you've established a pitcher's, uh, OLR, so to say, you, you have a good shot at being able to predict how that pitch will perform over the season. Um, so, so let me,
1: let me yeah. ask you this. I, I'm going to jump in and, and ask a couple clarifying questions. Would everybody's, is this like a golden ratio where it's the same for everyone or is this pitch uh, arsenal or uh spin rate kind of dependent in terms of the specific things that a, a guy will throw?
2: So it is universal uh, for the most part. Okay. Um,
1: there are, it's important
2: to make clear that, when I do say uh, that it only tells you if it's going to be successful as opposed to how successful, right. That is because when you talk about doing it over a large grouping of people like the, you know, that are very unique individually, like pitchers are, it's just a piece of the puzzle, right. Then velocity or, you know, stuff or all these different things kind of play into it as well to, to paint the ultimate picture of how that pitch performs. But uh universally speaking o l r is designed to be applied to any pitcher who throws that pitch uh since it is just a piece of the puzzle um and isn't as detail oriented if i was gonna start trying to maybe i will in the future move o l. r in a direction where uh it was able to tell me exactly how much success it did, you know created for the pitcher uh then I mm-hmm. probably would need to be more specific into like right handers versus left handers, uh, sidearm versus, you know, three core, you know, that, sure, that sort of sure, sure. So if that comes up in the future and I start making, trying to make it, uh, that specific, then I would probably have to break it down by pitch type.
1: I, I'm just in the, again, this is me being the, the layman that mm-hmm. I am. Um, am so famous for being, <laughs> um, thinking about this. If if you have a window w- within which it's fairly universal, you could you could then look at a picture because being being on the wrong side of that is not good right either way you don't want to be too much in the zone you don't want to be too much out of the zone so uh even like finding the the distance from that as its own score right something that could go on a player page and say you know this this guy's fastball is is at a five when you really want it to be as close to zero as possible um in terms of like how far away from that perfect ratio it is, mm-hmm. uh, and, and help explain maybe why the pitch itself is very good, but it is not effective. Uh, if you have, like, to your point, if you have a curveball that's got the spin rate is right where you want it to be, the the tunneling is great, all of that, but it's, it's never a strike. Uh, Then that, that explains why an otherwise good pitch wouldn't be effective. This is where my brain goes, right? So I can't come up with the initial idea, but then I think about, okay, but that means this. And then this means that, and sometimes I'm way off and Alexander likes to point out when I'm saying dumb things, but um, like in terms of being able to put something out there like that, if, if there was a way for this to be dynamic and adjust for those, and really zero in those variables a little bit more so that you could actually say like, okay, this guy's, you know, this guy's slider is, is a, a plus six. And you know, that's, that means it's two standard deviations away from where you want it to be that it's, it's in the zone too much, right. Or it's not in the mm-hmm. zone enough or whatever. I don't know. You guys uh, are, are way smarter at figuring out how you would even communicate that maybe it would be like a, a plus six and minus six so that you would know if it's in the zone too much or not enough or whatever, um, that's, it's, it's absolutely fascinating to me because I think one of the things that we do as analysts is, is go to the numbers, but the numbers don't always tell that story. This is a, this is a metric that actually almost captures a narrative. And that to me is really, really fascinating. And, uh, I will admit in its current state,
2: uh, I think eventually one of my goals, cause you bring up a really great point
1: is, uh, so for instance, Right now, I'm putting out that's the, not a criticism of it, by the way. I just want to make sure that I say that part out loud a, at all. That's just again, that's just my brain just takes this and, and says, Hey, good idea. What, well, how can I make sense of it? Because I can't come up with this stuff on my own.
2: <laughs> no, and that's I, I, honestly to it's, uh, it's, I don't want you uh, to think I've uh, take it that way, or also for that record, uh, in the sense of putting your uh, self down, in that sense, you you always shouldn't there. It's a it, having someone. Look at a statistic and say, "Okay, well, now how do we do this? Or how do we?" Um, it's in many ways, I think, it's almost the equivalent of like having a good editor uh, when yeah, you're writing yeah. something. Is well, having somebody who can not poke at what you're doing, but say, "Okay, let's take it this step further." In a way that you might not have the vision for. So, I want you to know that's a in statistics and in in, in the data world, that's a whole other skill set that's incredibly valuable. So, uh, don't feel like you're you're not. <laughs> Uh, valuable. that That's actually a really useful thing. Um, And I appreciate it. Uh, When I was creating OLR, I was bouncing this off of everybody I could get my hands on um, for this reason. But one of the things that probably for OLR 2.0, which will probably be next year, um, because I'm currently doing projections, which then will test sort of the predictability of OLR Mm -hmm. this year, then I'll improve it for next year, is putting it into a more uh readily useful context in that so for instance i'm doing uh forcing fastball projections right now and what we're looking for if i basically predict that i think it's gonna be positive is you want somewhere above like the ratio and for the record OLRs always going to be somewhere between zero and one that's the way it's designed right As a right. ratio and you want it somewhere between like 0.38 and 0.45. You get above 0.45 means you're throwing in the zone too much, right? Um, yeah. I think if you watch uh, the PitchCon presentation um, for those listening, I point out, I think it was uh, Tariq Skubal I talked about as someone who you know has every hallmark of a great fastball. He's got the velocity, he's got the movement, he's got everything you want, but that fastball has been getting crushed um, uh, historically speaking for his career um, and it's because he honestly throws in the zone too much. Uh, yeah. And when you're throwing it in the zone too much up, uh,
1: that it's going to get hit, you know, that kind of thing. So, uh, so he's executing the individual pitch the way he, he should, right. He's just executing it that way too much. (laughs) And that's, it's, it's, I, like I said, I think it's a really interesting way of thinking about it because I don't know that that's something that we spend a lot of time talking about. And I know that pitch location in general, uh, and maybe this is a way to maybe segue a little bit into the more more general idea of pitch location metrics because there are others as well. Um, it's starting to become more of the conversation and I think that's a really good thing. Absolutely.
2: Um, one of the big sort of... Um, because eventually, like I said, what I would love to do is maybe maybe normalize it, put it more like a WRC plus sort uh, of Oh, yeah. That's what concept. I was gonna
1: say. Scale yeah. stuff is easily digestible for the, the the end user. Not necessarily because there's it makes it less uh, flawed, so to speak. Yeah. It's a terrible word, but no it, it just those types of things make it easy. I can look at a WRC plus once I understand that a hundred is average and say, okay, more than a hundred, good, less than a hundred, bad more than uh, a lot more than a hundred really good, you know, <laughs> like it's, right. it's an easy way to, to maybe take really complicated things and boil them down into, um, simple form. That's still meaningful.
2: And that's, that is, uh, I think the goal of 2.0 is to kind of try and put it more in, in an easily digestible, uh, you know, sense where you can just glance at it and kind of know exactly where it stands. But what I was going to, um, say with looking at some of these things, um, with like you know talking about i mean we get very you know uh velocity oriented we get very movement oriented and you know i think of the classic a uh, pitcher versus uh you know a, a thrower so to say right yeah, uh, and yeah you hear that term thrown around a lot and th- one of the goals of this was to kind of help uh see some of the pitchers uh you know uh, versus the throwers and kind of I uh, to like command a little bit but like it also is in that way of so a lot of this was founded in uh neuroscience, right? Um I'm a neuroscience kind of geek. I love reading about it and learning about it and whatnot. And in a lot of ways, if you want to talk about like what's the next step in analytics, it's it's in neuroscience and skill acquisition and learning, right? That's that's where the the, the analytical world is going. But I remember reading a book called uh The Performance Cortex. And it was um it's by a guy named I don't know what his name, but Zach Schonbrun, and the, this is what they talked about was this is sort of the final piece for OLR was that basically our brain forms these things called neural pathways, and they're essentially like shortcuts. So if you see something enough times, like a pitch, uh, in a, in a location enough times, and the, the, you form a, a you know a shortcut, so to say in your brain, um, this is what those hitters are doing with Bowers' curveball,
1: right. and yeah. This is like highway hypnosis, right? Yes. Similar idea. Exactly. Absolutely. Um, And it's just like it's an interesting
2: sort of part to sort of get into that this is – it does also have a foundation in statistics and science. And that's where I think a lot of misconceptions of – I think sometimes analytics goes is this idea that it's all just math or that if you're not good at math or things that that you don't have a place – in analytics yeah. and yeah, it's yeah. like oh no D- did you like science cool we got science um <laughs> right right you know uh i was just talking about the other day with someone about the concept of flow which is like you know the runner's high and things like that you know um yep. and it's this big thing in sports right now it Was created by uh but well it was, i mean we've obviously been talking about it for decades but was finally studied by of all things the u.s army uh actually i think it was the navy it was but for the Navy SEALs. Um, you mm. know, stuff like that. So it's, it's those funny things where we think it's all just, you know, you don't, you can have a place in all these things unless you can crunch numbers. And it's like, eh, no, there's, that's not it, it at all.
1: Yeah. It's, it's, there's a lot that goes into it, you know, mm-hmm. for somebody to have an idea, you need somebody who can crunch numbers, <laughs> but right. it could be a team of people who bring different skill sets to, to an, an idea for sure. And if I'm being honest with you, most analytics
2: uh, have worked in it and I've studied it is actually can you analyze numbers rather than can you like do algebra um these days yeah yeah right the, the dirty secret no one wants to tell you about coding or the mathematics side of all of that is for the most part if i want to say run a linear model which we'll talk about later or stuff like that i literally just type in the code the code uh command for linear model Give it the context, add my data, and it it does it for me. I don't have to do the math. Yeah, yeah. It's worth noting.
1: (laughs) Sure. What about uh, some of the other pitch location metrics that are out there? Uh, I know there are some available elsewhere, right?
2: Yes, absolutely. Um, And you know, the big one that you'll see out there a lot is Command Plus. And Command Plus is great. You know, uh, you'll see Eno Harris, who's kind of was in a lot of ways the guy who I modeled what I wanted my writing career to be after, um, and then the kind of analysis I wanted to do, um, yes. writes about Command Plus a lot. It, it's a really fascinating, he did what we've kind of talked about with uh, normalizing or putting OLR in that easily digestible context. Right. That's right, what Command yep. Plus has done. It's taken a couple different uh, sort of characteristics of command, you know, location and all these different things, has factored them in and, and gives you a good idea of not necessarily. In the sense of one of the things with all are the goal was to get that relationship, you know, to a specific location and a, in a relationship to to the pitchers command in that sense. Uh, command plus is a nice way to get an idea of overall off the bat. Does this guy have good command?
1: You know, if I'm and- not looking to dig into the numbers under the hood, because that's just not who I am as a player or a fan. That kind of a thing gives me easy in, easy out with with meaningful um, takeaways. Well, and especially, and uh, I might be jumping a little bit ahead, but uh, the, that's okay. We're at the part in the rundown, Daniel, where we can go wherever you want. Okay, yeah? if you want to, if you want to use this as a jumping-off point, be my guest.
2: Um, well, what I was going to say is, you'll hear me a lot because um, I'm an old man and love idioms and, and analogies. Um, I will talk a lot about statistics. I think are canary in the coal mine. Statistics is what I call them. And yeah. Um, I grew up in Ohio, which is not that far from coal country. Um, And <laughs> uh, it was a term you would often use for something that was like a, a warning, but you didn't know for what. And this is, I guess, back in the day, coal miners would take canaries and they would put uh, canaries in a cage in the coal mine before they went down there uh, to see if there was dangerous gases or anything else down there because the canary would react, right? Um, right. And I think Command Plus is certainly one of them that's, it's a really fascinating statistic in the way that you look at it and you go okay this pitcher has good command right you can see it in command plus uh, right away but it doesn't tell you how the player has good command it doesn't tell you what the what the player is doing right yeah so um, if you
1: want to dig you need to find something else if you just want to be able to pop in and say you know I want I'm I'm thinking about trading this guy for that guy I'm going to look at their compla- command plus numbers to get a sense then it's really, so I, I, I think that really underscores the point here that there is, and I've, I've made this point a lot, and so people are probably sick of me saying it, but there are a lot of different people playing fantasy in a lot of different ways. And there are plenty of people that want to go to the Fangraphs and Savant and, and look at all of this output and run their own you know regressions and projections and come up with their own stats and try to create their own ERA estimators and, and all of that. Um, and then there's the people who are, who are, you know, setting their lineups a couple of times a week, even in daily formats and, and, you know, are, are just want to be able to, to feel like they're competent enough in their decisions without having to get into the weeds with the numbers. And some people love the weeds and other people hate the weeds. And I think that's, that's the spectrum that we have these things for. So like having what you have now is great for the people who love to get into the weeds. And there's an opportunity to create something that does the same thing, but in a way that people who have no interest in the weeds can still use your very smart approach to understanding what's going on. Um, and so I, I think one of the things that I, that is hard, I think we've, we maybe overemphasize sometimes the stuff that appeals to the, in the weeds people and forget about the people who are, that's just not their jam or they don't understand it, or they try. And it's frustrating because it just doesn't click with them the way it does with other people. Um, and, and as we get more scientific in our processes, which is a good thing, it's also easy to forget that probably the majority of fantasy baseball players out there are not <laughs> that, that into the, the numbers and what's going on uh in, you know, uh, under the hood. So, I think having both is really, really good. Either way, obviously, they're they're meaningful and they're fascinating to think about because they, they frame the conversation in a different way. And like I said, what you're doing is, at least in terms of my understanding of it, and maybe this is just my lack of complete understanding, is that it is really quantifying something that is more qualitative or historically been more qualitative, where we've talked about Oh, this guy, he, you know, he he's great on the corners or on the edges or he does this Or Well, now you have you have a metric that actually measures the story. And that I think is huge. The the to be able to get numbers that back up the eye test or support the gut or whatever it is you think you're seeing or trying to like that curveball is wicked. Why is it not effective? Those are the the kinds of things that that I think really pull people in, and quite honestly, people who are on the fringes of, I'm not super numbery, that's a number that's going to bring them in. It's it's going to actually introduce them to the power of the number and the metrics, uh, because it's connected to a story and a narrative. So that that's where I I really find it to be to be really fascinating.
2: Well, I think you bring up a, a great point, and I think. One of the biggest hurdles, and it's something I try to do in a lot of my writing and a lot of the, the, the conversations I have about statistics, is that one thing that isn't talked about enough is uh, transparency and clarity in, in yes. the data. And, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not calling anyone out. I'm not trying to throw any shade at anyone. So please don't. I'm literally just talking in generalities, but you'll see a lot of people who throw out uh, a projection or throw out a number or be like, oh, this guy's launch angle is all the way up to here. And they don't provide context, right? They don't say what that yep. means or what's going on. And I think that um, we've all gotten so focused on simplifying that conversation down to nothing that we've actually made it more complex. And yes. I, I actually tend to go, yeah. and it's why I get teased a lot by the editorial staff. I've never written a piece uh, for a picture list that's under like 4,000 words. But it's because I'm like, listen. If you by the end of this don't think what I'm talking about is simple, I failed you, not the other way around, right? And it's something I think data people are coming around to is it's not just about creating the idea, but I have to I have to get you to buy into the idea. I have to, and the only way to get you buy in the idea is to actually explain it. If at the end of me explaining an idea, you're not on board with it, then I didn't explain it well enough, right? And Uh, it's a, a I think
1: there's also like, there's a lot of people putting time and energy into this and want to monetize it too, or Mm -hmm. want it to be their thing. And I under, I can understand that too. You put all this time and energy into it and then just kind of make it open source. Everybody can just kind of take it and do their own thing with it. I I understand that. And I think what you're saying is spot on because when there's, when there's a lack of clarity, it it makes, it's an obstacle to understanding, right? It's an, an obstacle to comprehension
2: absolutely and i think that when you talk about uh people who want to get in the on the you know kind of like you said set their lineups every week and you know kind of move on i think that what is the real trick and the the uh the difficulty of separating say those who are like ah no analytics are ruining the sport versus say uh those who are all on board and all, like you said, really want to get down in the nitty gritty and things like that, or because we haven't really bridged that gap as as people explaining uh, those statistics and, you know, and and not just, but also then framing them into their context, into their language, you know? And I think looking at, uh, you know, something like OLR versus say Command Plus is that, you know, kind of, when you say, you know, when you look at whether you want to dive a little deeper or do those things down into it, again, it's my job to make it just as easy to do that as right. it is to, you know, add that that clarity. Because uh, there is a difference. I always think of um, the analogy I always use is I think doing data analytics for baseball is uh, I grew up loving Agatha Christie novels. I like murder mysteries. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my girlfriend would tell you. You give me a, a murder mystery and I'll plow through it in a day. I won't put it down. I love them. <laughs> um, and I I like to think that doing data analysis is is Sherlock Holmes is is uh, is Hercule Poirot from from the detective novels of the being able to say there's a difference between saying this person got murdered, right? That guy's dead. Yeah. Which is kind of what you're doing with a lot of these big index statistics, where you're just kind of the canary in the coal mine sort of in statistics. And then bowing yeah, down the, and saying... The dead ratio. Right. Alive or dead.
1: Right. Yeah. Exactly.
2: <laughs> and I think that at some point... Uh, and I think actually the uh, data visualization, new statistics, things like that that we're starting to create, eventually, hopefully will be about making... Because baseball is just incredibly complex. Uh, right. Any any event that happens in baseball is the result of a thousand different things coming together to make an event happen. Um, That... That's sort of the next step, I think, is figuring out how do we make those things palatable to everyone.
1: So speaking of next steps, why don't we uh take a look at some of these other um statistical uh I, I guess indices or or metrics here? Um this is maybe my vision here for the last 15 minutes or so uh, yeah, of absolutely. our conversation. And that is uh, talk a little bit about how you have you've almost tiered some statistics here in our rundown. Mm -hmm. I think that would be a a useful thing to share what you've kind of grouped together and why. Mm -hmm. Um, And then maybe pick one from each category with the player that you have to to kind of underline the point you're making about, you know, if I want to understand Merrill Kelly or Nestor Cortez, I can look at ERA. Um, then I, I can look at you know the 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 WOBA that they're giving up. What's the difference there? What more of the story? How many layers have I peeled back there? How how Holmesian is it? Um, and then how does something like a an actual regression or a data model uh, aid in in understanding that further, or does it overcomplicate things? So I'm going to give you complete free reign to take this in whatever direction makes sense to you. Um, but I think that as a kind of a, an umbrella idea, there kind of building from basic to complex, and where and there do we find the the stuff that makes the most sense and and that we can use to make meaning for ourselves as fantasy players.
2: So uh, I think the first place to start is uh, I'm going to talk a lot about models here in a second, and I wanted to find real quick uh, what a model is because I think it's really important. Um, mm-hmm. At the end of the day, uh, my favorite definition of a model is a simplified uh representation of, of the world, right? Um and by the world I mean whatever you're studying. So baseball, the population of a country, whatever, right? Um right. Yep. and that can be statistical, like a lot of what we use in baseball. They can be visual. I um, mean think of like a, a good data visualization or a graph or things like that. Um, they can be uh in the term of text, you know, a writer describing a, a character is is a good example of a model. He's not describing every single detail that person, but he's going to give you a right, simplified yeah. representation. Uh, my favorite model, for instance, is... Uh, I think it's down in, like, Mississippi. Uh, I think the Army... It was, like, in the 50s or 60s. The Army Corps of Engineers wanted to figure out how rainfall and erosion worked on the Mississippi River. And so they created, like... It's, like, several miles. It's huge. This thing's humongous. They created an actual uh, replica model of the Mississippi uh, River Basin and then like brand water over it and would, like do different things to it and muck around it so can figure out like, well, we can put a dam here. We can do these things here. And it's fascinating to me. Um, And that's yeah. a model, right? So there's all these different ways of thinking of a model, but at the end of the day, it's a simplified representation of a complex thing. Um, And as we just mentioned, baseball is an incredibly, almost absurdly complex yeah. uh, thing that, <laughs> you know, when a, when a player gets a hit, there's so many things to analyze. There's uh, what happened with the pitch. Um, where did the catcher set up uh, for that? Well, what, what, what kind of calls have the umpire been making all game? Uh, did the player make yeah, a good who's on base?
1: What's the wind? Is the sun shining in the batter's eye? Oh, yeah. yeah,
2: oh, yeah, exactly. Weather is a huge thing, you know. Um, did the defender line up by just happenstance in a different spot? Um, is the defender any good? Like, all these different things, it's a thousand yeah, right, different right. things that determine any given event, and it's, it's almost too complex for us to understand, right? I think it's why a lot of times. People do kind of just throw up their show, their, their arms and shrug and be like, oh, sports, baseball, it happened, right?" You know. And I think that we use models because we can then take aspects of that and shrink it down. We can uh, and simplify it to a point where we can then analyze it. And so when you talk about the most basic models, because people a lot of talk about the idea that like models are a new thing that we're using in baseball. And when they're talking probably about like linear regression and things like that, which we'll talk about in a second, that that is true. But we've been using models for for decades, uh, right? In sports, um, when you talk about you know some of those index statistics we talked about, those are models, right? That that is a simplified understanding of what we of what has gone on throughout the uh, the season. And so we have
1: those very traditional ones that we've used forever that kind of make up even some of our categories of fantasy, right? Like ERA and average on base percentage.
2: Exactly. Um, that like when you, you essentially are taking, if you think of uh obp for example you know that is you know just telling you how often does the player get on base without you know creating an out but it doesn't tell you how it doesn't say well is it because they're they're hitting for they're getting a lot of hits is it because they walk a lot um you know is it did they get hit by the pitch a lot like there's a lot of different things that can go into how that happened right So that's the most basic miles is taking all this chaos and saying forget all that And let's narrow it down to this thing that we can analyze. And uh, that's sort of our most basic index statistics. And then we have, uh, you can move more complex uh, sort of index statistics if you think of like WOBA or uh, WAR or X batting average, um, you know, I like to talk about. And one of the things that you talk about is you get to say something like, the more complex you get, the more you are talking about when we talk about models, we're talking about a volume of data, right? And so um, XBA is a good example of, you know, I think a lot of times people will be like, oh, so XBA means if it's say had an XBA of 600, you know, uh, that means it should have been a hit. And it's like, well, actually, what's kind of telling you is if they hit that ball 100 times, right? 60 times that ball, that ball would have fallen in for a hit before it comes. Yeah, been. still an out 40 yeah, but, times. Right. Right. <laughs> and, you know, um, so, uh, you know, as we get more complex, it's important to note that this is involved. It involves more data, more instances, and is about the long run, not
1: so much the the yeah. short term and the bell know. curve, right? And because any any one event is just what it is, right? I I hit the ball; it's a hit or it's an out. It, it's it, there's so these are numbers that are are theoretical. Or they're either descriptive of what's already happened, or they attempt to be predictive about what might happen but they're very rarely spot on for a moment in time. Right. I mean, that's not what they're designed to be. Exactly. 1000%. Uh, you know, I uh, think of,
2: you know, I think of uh, Kevin Cash, the fa- very famous pulling Blake Snell, right. Uh, in the, I uh, was it game six of the 2020 world series um, where mm-hmm. he was pitching great. He pulls him, And the next guy comes in and gives up a home run. Right and right. you know people are like oh well, how could he make that see the analytics are bunk and it's like listen that's one event out
1: of the the, the analytics is telling what's going to happen over a thousand events right and yeah. you hear this a lot in football for for like going for it on fourth down right mm-hmm. or going for two instead of kicking the extra point and when it doesn't work it makes everybody think that it's the science is bad but that's one one event right <laughs> you can't so anyway, I, I I think we've made the point here. I just yeah. it's it's important to understand that context that even if something has a 90 percent outcome, there's still 10 percent of, of of trials where that's not going to work or, or be the case. Um, and that one moment is always going to be what it was going to be. Yes. So I, I don't know. It's <laughs> maybe I'm getting a little bit too heady with it. but
2: No, you're you're one thousand percent spot on. And that's it's just important to understand when you look at those. Those numbers that you are exactly you're looking at the context of a large scale and trying to put it so you understand more about what happened or are able to if you're, say, uh you know, Kevin Cash pulling Blake Snell, he's looking at this is what would have happened if you had Blake Snell continue to pitch that in that next inning a thousand times. Here would have been the, the most likely results. All Kevin Cash is doing is making and with most of these is making an informed decision. Right. He's still making right. the decision, though. It's not a
1: guarantee. Exactly.
2: And then we get into complex stuff, right? So the more complex things, and we're starting to see this more and more, and I love seeing it. And I love, you know, if you follow someone like, say, uh, Carlos Marcano, who's really great at this. Um, He's, I just was talking to him on my podcast, Um, that we we both are about talking about, you know, we do create a model or we create something. We're going to tell you everything about how we did it. Um, I know yeah, Alex he. Chamberlain's really good about this too. Um, And so as Eno. Uh, because then you understand where we're coming from, why we created this. isn't just some magic like, hey, we created this number and you should believe in it because, right? And you start seeing things like you'll hear a lot of people talk about correlation versus causation. um, And those are often proved through uh, linear models. And essentially, but at the end of the day, before I get into, uh, you know, I don't necessarily want to dive into too much of like, the ins and outs of these models cuz we could be here all day. Uh
1: there are thousands They're of them. Right they all do different and th- there's things. there's places to go find that, right? Right. So absolutely. It's available for those people who are interested. If we could have the, you know, the, the this is going to sound like it's oxymoronic but like the 30,000 foot view of the nitty-gritty. <laughs> right. No, <laughs> well, I think that's kind of yeah.
2: And uh it's almost like I need a model to explain the models. <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. Uh but like and Please, folks, um, if you have questions, if you hear this and you're like, "I'd like to know more, do more," please uh, reach out to me on Twitter, or um, again, that's at Daniel J. Port, and I'm more than happy to. I've got books upon books I can recommend to kind of get you started, or videos, or things that. Uh, I'm more than happy to talk about a lot of this stuff too, because I love it. I could do it all day. Um, but when we start talking about complex models, right now, we what we're really starting to get into is asking ourselves questions about relationships, right? So again, if you'd say take OLR, which is created using um several different modeling uh techniques. Logistic regression. Um and by the way, if you want more explanations on like how OLR was created and logistic regression and um naive Bayes bottles and things like that, which is what I used to create uh and test OLR. Uh I put out a primer on it. Um gosh, I'll I will uh I'll set, either send Matt the link so we can put in the notes or whatnot but it's a great explanation of what i did and what these all mean and things like that right but at the end of the day every single model i use is about testing its relation the relationship between two things in this case olr and pitch success and the more complex you make your models as we start getting the linear uh linear models what i think of as predictive or bayesian models or we start getting into um uh what's called time series analysis um the all of these different models are essentially just saying what are the relationship between these things um and how connected are they and how do they affect each other, right? So if you'd say take a, a linear model, um uh, two years ago for my pitchcon presentation, I did uh linear I mapped all the different characteristics of changeups, right? Uh using linear models and said which ones matter the most for, for pitch success, right? And what it was doing was saying, okay, if I essentially, at the end of the day, asking the question of, uh, if I adjusted, you know, one, uh, how does that change the other? Right. Uh, And uh, you know, it was looking at those relationships. And so that's what, when we get into complex models and you start hearing people talk about models, that's what we're asking ourselves. Um, you know, is how do these things affect each other and do they matter, um, you know for instance if you read about his creation he does a really good explanation of stuff plus one of his other one of the other statistics and he talks about modeling it where he did what's called a, a random i believe he did a random forest uh uh regression what that actually does is just says okay of all these characteristics in the model which ones help us essentially you know which which characteristics are being the most important you know yep, and right. things like that so if that's all it is, is really looking at it and saying, what are the relationships between these things? And for baseball purposes, and, and frankly, for fantasy purposes, I think it can be really useful to say, "Uh, you know, uh, when I see a performance, can I trust it? Or can I, um, what what can I take away from it? So, you know, you see someone say, "Uh, to go to like a Merrill Kelly or a Nestor Cortez or something like that, right? Um, you say to yourself, Well, okay, so they're having success. And you kind of look through it and you start digging down and you see, okay, both of them are actually having pretty good success with their fastballs, let's say, right? Um, and I only use fastballs because I like I said I've been working on them right now. But uh mm-hmm. if you were to go by OLR, um Merrill Kelly and uh both Merrill Kelly and Nestor Cortes are in the perfect range for what we want for uh for them throwing their fastballs in that ratio, right? So uh I suddenly have a, a bit of an answer to so be like, oh well so that fastball's been playing up and this is why. Right. Yeah. Um yep. and back to
1: supporting the eye test, right? And the narrative.
2: Yeah. Right. And so when you start and then obviously it's for some of them and it's really important when you look at models or statistics to always ask yourself, is this a predictive statistic or a descriptive statistic? Descriptive says this is in the past and that's it. It doesn't tell you anything about what's gonna happen from here. Or predictive, you know, obviously it will you can use it to kind of determine what might happen in the future. Um, and like, for instance, OLR is predictive, um, that you can then say to yourself, okay, well, not only do I see the breakout and see why the breakout is happening, but I expect it to continue, you know? So is it right? You know, you're sitting there going, wow, this guy's woba is way up this hitter. And you go, oh, it turns out his walk rate is up. Okay. Well, his walk rates up. Let's see. Is he seeing the ball better? And you're like, man, his O swing, uh, which is chasing the ball of the zone is way down. And you know he's he's swinging fewer pitches, and you know he's making better contact and something like, "Okay, I get it right and that's really sort of where models come in is you start to see those relationships, then you can use those relationships to you know, like I said in fantasy, especially, better analyze the results and say, "Nope, that's a fluke, I don't
1: buy into that or I do. I see where this came from
2: um right kind
1: of right, yep, that makes a lot of sense. Um well Daniel that is going to bring us to the end of our conversation here. Is there anything that you want to to add here to put kind of the fine point on it or any other resources you want to point people in the direction of?
2: Yeah, uh, so I think um the first thing that I would say is for folks who are interested in this like I said please don't hesitate if you want to reach out to me. Um I'm more than happy to talk about all these uh sort of different concepts and and everything like that, but also um don't be uh, what I want to think is I think a lot of people get against a lot of this and, and don't dive deep because they're intimidated by it
0: yeah. and
2: i want to say don't be um first of all if anyone wants to know i basically flunked out of every math class i ever took in my entire life um <laughs> and until college um and i was never good at math uh, well i should say uh, uh my girlfriends tell me i'm good at math everyone's told me my entire life i'm not good at math and i know there's a lot of people out there who are like that and don't let this intimidate you. There's no difference. At some point, with a lot of this, these these numbers are words. These numbers are. It's just a different language. It's just a different way of expressing what is going on in the game. Sure. And don't be intimidated by it. Um, I think a really great place where I started, if people are interested, is um, there's a really great book called Projecting X, and it's about creating your own projections. I want to say it was written by uh Mike Podhorzer, right, The legend in the fantasy baseball world, right, and it's about creating your own projections and i highly recommend it um if this is a, if a place you kind of want to get started with some of the stuff um it really starts basically it walks you through all the different how all these different statistics are created and how they're all related to each other um and i think it's a really really great place to kind of start and really um start analyzing these relationships so I, I recommend that highly but uh but yeah feel free to reach out to me just don't be don't be intimidated by the math it, it's it's not what you think it is i
1: promise I love that. I love that message. That the there's there's an angle for everybody to be able to understand it in the way that they want or need to for for their own purposes. Um, I, I can tell you certainly uh, when I first kind of came into the industry, it was from a sideways a little bit. It wasn't to be an analyst at all. And as I've dipped my toe into it um, early on, it was incredibly intimidating. And it's it, it was one of those things where people kind of just talk about numbers like you said like words like they read they read a spreadsheet the way that I would sit down and read a web page you know for news or something um and it made that kind of sense to them and you y- you've you've got to kind of be willing to get past that initial what feels like a almost a gate uh like you're 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 being kept out of the the inner circle and and find out what it is that makes sense to you and there are tons of resources and and certainly I don't think I've encountered anybody in this industry who has not been willing to try and and help and support in whatever way they have time or energy for in their their sphere right I mean some people are incredibly busy or or you know they, they get seven thousand uh ads a day on Twitter and I can't respond to all of them but um every single person I've encountered has absolutely said reach out if you have any questions and meant it it's it's not lip service so if this is something that piques your interest at all, or you want to get a, a better understanding of how how these things work, definitely do that. Check out some of these resources. Uh, reach out on on social media. Uh, join PL Plus and get into the Discord and uh, have these conversations there. All really good ways to to kind of um, de uh, stigmatize isn't the right word, but maybe demystify demystify some of these things and, and figure out a way to, to make them work for you. So, Daniel, thank you so much for pinch hitting here today. This was absolutely fascinating. I love these conversations. Like, like you, I could talk to you about this all afternoon, but uh, we do have to find at least a reasonable stopping point for our <laughs> listeners. Um, and while Alexander could not be with us for this episode, I am going to turn to him to to remind the people where they can find us. Well, they can find you on Twitter at the Corked Matt. I'm on Twitter at Chase
2: underscore Rate. And most importantly, you can find our podcast on Twitter at Dugout Study Hall, where you can send us some questions. Please be sure to subscribe to the Pitcherless podcast feed if you haven't done that already. Leave us a good review if you can be so kind. And if you're not already, please consider becoming a PL Plus member so that you can harass us on the PL Discord. And that's it for me.
1: All right. Well, thanks for listening, everybody, and we'll catch you next time.